I've also learned that if you had three speakers speaking on one theme verse and you've given them all sections, it's good to have people from Maine go before you because they don't really hit it, so you're good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm safe. No, no, they did, they did what they had to do. But uh, let's pray, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, again, we could be here strengthen our bodies to seek you, Lord. You know we can't even love you if you don't help us. Without you, we can do nothing. But we want to love you, Lord, body, soul, spirit, mind. Uh, allow us to love you with all our strength today in your word as we seek it, as we eat and bless you, as we fellowship with one another and step into whatever else we have. Going on tonight, Lord, we just acknowledge you and pray that you would guide us. So we set this time into your hands, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles 29, we'll move down to the theme verse. I want to begin in verse 1. Um, and simply what I want to just look at is, it's pretty easy to read verses 10 and 11, which are great exhortation, and agree with the spirit of the exhortation there. But the challenges we find are usually surrounding the circumstances of our daily life and its application. Isolated, the verse sounds great. Integrated or incarnated into my life is where it has problems. And for us as Christians, I think it's very easy to read something, particularly if you are growing up in the Christian world I can read a verse in the Bible and just assume that I own its truth because I've read it or intellectually understand it, which is not, of course, true at all. I have to live it and possess it. Then I know the truth and the doctrine, Jesus says, whether it's of God or whether it's of man. So I want to look at these priests. The writers, when they said these things, certainly had a goal, but the ultimate writer, of course, the Holy Spirit, in inspiring this passage centers the exhortation in the middle of the chapter, but what we get to see is the men that the exhortation was given to, how did they respond? What did it look like in their practical lives to actually receive this exhortation that was from the Lord through Hezekiah and live that out? So let's begin in verse one. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. and He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. So we're told right off the bat, Hezekiah comes to power. We know the rest of his story because we get to see it from God's eyes right at the start. The men that are living right now do not have that luxury. It's important to remember that. They don't know that when Hezekiah steps in, he has the heart of a David, that this is literally another David that is born to Israel. They don't know that at all. He's a 25-year-old young man. His father, who came into the rule of the kingdom at 20, was also a young man who was a horrible king of Israel. And they don't know what is happening here. They just know, here's this guy coming now into the kingdom. 
says this, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. That would tell them something. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. That word rubbish there in the Hebrew has the idea of menstruous waste. It was tied to the idolatrous sexual practices that were happening in the temple at that point. Sadly, Hezekiah grew up under a dad that we are told literally offered his own children in pagan cultic worship practices. Hezekiah was 25 years old. His dad was 20. He only reigned, I think, 16 years. So he had to be born pretty early. Um, And they would have multiple wives, so maybe they could tie this in, but... It's likely he was probably old enough to understand my dad is sacrificing my brothers and sisters to false pagan gods. So that's, you know, we can talk about messed up families. This is a pretty messed up family right here. And he goes in, and he goes into the temple. It's been shut in certain ways. He opens the door, and he gets all these priests and Levites together. And he tells them the first thing, listen to me, I want you to take out this rubbish, even just calling it that. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned their faces away from the dwelling places of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Hezekiah immediately acknowledges the bad example of his father and their fathers. He, by doing so, is admitting what has come upon us is according to God's word, what he said. Just what he said, they would know the law. What happened if we forsook him and worship false gods has happened to us. You look, we've turned our backs on him. And look at the place we're at. You can see it with your own eyes. He doesn't doesn't need to convince them. He's just stating this, acknowledging it. And by doing so, he's admitting we are living way under what God's standard for our lives is. Our status quo here, what what we can look around and literally see is, is not where God wants us. I think that's just an important call, literally, to sit there for a moment, even in your life, and just look around and think, Lord, is this where you want me? Because when it's not, we should, we should know that. Lord, is this... Is this the level of life you have called me to live on? Is this where you have me? And Hezekiah is acknowledging it's not. This, this is not where God has us. And, you know, again, I, the Lord has a view here. I'm kind of, again, trying to look at this through these priests who are about to receive this exhortation. It would be easy, I would think, to look at this guy young kind of upstart and just think okay but what about when life gets gritty 
How, how much have you experienced so far? Maybe it's just some youthful zeal right here. And of course, pushing against the status quo is not something people typically like very much. If they've done something for a long time, we like to keep doing that thing. And Hezekiah is about to change, change the whole system here. At least that's what's in his heart, not because he wants to be something special, because he believes God has something else for them, clearly laid out. And we're not where God wants us to be. So these guys, they hear this exhortation. It's put in front of them. Now, verse 10, he says, It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. He encourages them. So this is where we're at. He's there with them. He's saying, I'm also a person who has a call from God. As a king, they would know there was literal laws for a king, for a king to honor God. He had to do certain things. And a lot of that related literally to the temple and the priests. They were integrated. And he's saying, this is what's in my heart. I'm, I'm stating it here with you. I am going to try to play my role before the Lord. I want you now to play your role before the Lord. You do the thing that God has called you to do. They needed one another in that. The, the call right off the bat to not be negligent, I think, would, would easily um, fit into a lot of different ways, but whatever they would be, they would be an excuse. They hadn't done it for a long time. They're literally standing in the temple. I think it's hard for us to imagine. The temple has been a total wreck it's been literally cut apart. A lot of the treasures were taken out and given to other people under his dad's reign. They brought in all types of idolatrous things in there. Again, he already stated it in strong language, like there's literally rubbish, debris, menstruous waste in here. You're looking at, okay, if I heed this exhortation, I got a big project on my hands. It's like, your wife's saying, I want to redo the kitchen, right? Like, this is not an easy project. Let's just talk about this for a second, right? Okay, this is going to be a lot of work right off the bat. There's a lot of people who are not going to be happy about this. This kingdom has been given over to idolatry. They've been worshiping other gods. Not all the priests are going to be happy about this, most likely. And what if things change? Again, you could have been one of those priests that's saying, all right, in my heart, maybe they wanted to be faithful to the Lord. Maybe there were some that kept themselves out of this other stuff. I'm not sure. But they don't know what's going to happen to Hezekiah. Okay, even if this is true, and you, you really want to be a good king of Israel and do what God has called you to do, this they didn't live in a world where it's like, you get to be in for four years and then somebody else will be voted. He could get assassinated the next day. Somebody who doesn't like you could just come in here and kill you. And if I stand up and align myself with you, then what happens to me? It was, this is not, there's, right? It sounds really nice, 
But in the practical, to do this, this was very hard. This is going to cost us something. Um, I am putting my life on the line here. There was a lot of different types of excuses these priests could have put out there to say, maybe not right now. And the first thing he says is, don't be negligent. It's not that those things weren't true. The, the place was a wreck. They would take a dangerous stand to connect with him. Maybe it would seem like a pragmatic approach to say, well, we'll let you do it for a little bit first, and then we'll decide what we want to do. Let's just stay in communication, and I'll get back to you on that. There's, there's a lot of excuses that could be made. But what he says here is, don't be negligent. You are, again, chosen you. The Lord has chosen you to stand before him. God has chosen you to be in this place. The day, the age, where they are, what's been happening, God has picked them and put them there. Which again, I think would be important because a lot of these guys... They were just involved in idolatrous worship. As I said, some of them, maybe they kept themselves pure. We don't know. But whatever it was, there wasn't one of these priests that hadn't made some type of mistake because all of them allowed the temple to literally be turned into a ransacked pagan center of worship under their watch. Right? All of them. So even if they hadn't entered into it, which some of them had, we're, turned, we're told that some of the priests, Ahaz was in a different place in Damascus, saw a pagan altar there, liked it so much, he had them send the specks back, move the bronze altar out of its way, and put in a pagan altar there. And the priests helped them do it. So some of these priests had probably literally been involved in the pagan worship that was just happening under his father's reign. And I'm sure if they were anything like us, now they're hearing a call to righteousness, and they're probably thinking, I can't do that. Uh, three weeks ago, I was just sacrificing on that altar. The, what do you mean? I should probably, like, retire right now. Or I should be put to death for this stuff. And here's Hezekiah saying, no, no, no. God chose you. You are now supposed to play the role that God has chosen you to play. I don't know what role you've played up to this point. But we're not working these things off of where we are. We're working these things off of what God has said. And do you want to live on the level of where you are, what you see? Or do you want to live on the level of what God has said? God has chosen you to live on that level. He's given you his word. You are called to something else. And all of these guys, in some way, had been a part of the mistakes that happened. All of them would have to push past the idea of, I'm not worthy in one way or another. Of course you're not worthy. And you know what? Some of them had done worse than others. But God had chosen them to be the ones to play that role. And their life was in the Lord's hands. And now they're being presented with the opportunity, play the role that God has called you to play. 
whatever role you've played to this point, we're going to acknowledge that it was wrong. Right? We, and again, these things immediately apply to us. Whatever, whatever role you played to this point, you can acknowledge that it was wrong. We were a part of our fathers that were wicked. We were doing what they were doing. We acknowledge the position we're in is not where God has called us to be. Sin has brought us to ruin. We have turned our backs on him. It says again of his father that he worshiped the gods of Damascus or Syria. He said, well, my God hasn't helped me, so maybe they'll help me. And they became the ruin of them, we're told. The things that I actually trusted in became the ruin of me. Now what? Don't make excuses. Don't be negligent. The Lord has to, he knows who you are. You think he's, he's shocked? He knows where you are. You think he's shocked that he made a mistake? Oh, that guy's here in this day and age? I meant him for like the 1900s. This is an accident. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows the day and age that you live in. He put you here. Paul tells us that God laid out the bounds of our existence, the times, the bounds, the lines, so that we might all find our way toward him, even though we're not far, any one of us from him. We live and move and have our being in him. Whatever the reason is, for some reason, this is the best day and age for you to find your way toward God. And he has them here on purpose, and he puts it in their world that God has chosen them to stand before him in this particular time. And he says now uh, a couple different things. Uh, in the English, it kind of works out as four. In the original language, it's more kind of as three. He says, God has chosen you to stand before him, serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. The, the Hebrew has the idea of taking a stand and serving, ministering. They're kind of the same thing. It's I'm taking a stand before somebody to serve. That's the point. I'm going to present myself before God as a servant. And I will stand there on his side, ready to do whatever he tells me to do. That's the first picture. To stand there before him is the idea of face to face. I am going to stand face-to-face face with him. I'm not just going to be an emissary that's distant. I am going to be somebody that is literally face-to-face. Face. He's giving me the orders. I am responding to him. I can see him. He can see me. And to burn incense, it's just the Hebrew word has the idea of smoking or making sacrifices to burn. So it was, it was what would kind of come from their service to him. So what we're going to see now is how this, this exhortation is done now. They're standing in this wreck of a temple. Hezekiah has cleaned up an entrance. They're all there. Priests and Levites are looking at one another. They know what's happened. He knows what's happened. They know where they've been. He knows where they've been. They know what he's asking them to do and pleading with them to join him in. And they're now at a place where they have to Make a choice. Don't make excuses. God chose you. And here's, here's what we need to do. Here's how it works out for them. Verse 12. I'm going to read some of these names. I do not know how to pronounce them. 
But in my mind, I also know nobody knows what the original Hebrew of that day was either. So we're all just making it up. So I'm going to read this in American. Then these Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasai, Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kohathites, the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, Azariah, the son of Jehalel, however you say that, of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah, of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jael, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah and Mataniah of the sons of Heman, Jehiel, Shimei of the sons of Jeduthun, Shimeiah and Uziel. We'll pause there for a second. So what it tells us is a couple dudes stood up. There was the Kohathites, the Merarites, and the Gershonites. They were the three different tribes that made up the Levites. And there was a couple dudes from each tribe that responded here to the things that Hezekiah said. They take their stand to remain a servant of God at Hezekiah's side. That's the picture. Again, not an easy choice. There was a lot of ramifications to making this choice. They knew it was going to make waves, but they were going to put themselves in position to honor God, whether they incur loss or face difficulty or hardship. They didn't all stand, you notice that. There's more there. But the Bible records the names of the men who did stand. It wasn't an immediate revival, although there would be some pretty cool things that happened just a little while down the line. But there's a number of guys, a few guys, that stand up and say, I want that to be me. I'm willing to take that stand. Whatever kind of happens, right? Again, even right now, the Lord ministers something to you this weekend. If you stand to serve him in one way or another, you know it's, it's going to make certain ways, whether it's at work, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's just at home with your children. We're going to run our lives a new way. We want to be committed to the Lord in a new way. You know what, guys? Forgive me. I have not been the father of the man you want me to be or that the Lord wants me to be. I need to change this thing. Even if it's one thing, that can cause angst, right? We got baseball on Wednesday nights. What do you mean go to church? Oh, but we, we never did things like that. Why are we doing this now? How come change, change the way you work at work and status quo, we used to let some things slide a little bit, changes, and now people are annoyed because now you make them look bad. What's up with that? We all were cool with this before. Now, how come this is happening, right? little, Little things. Sounds like a great exhortation. But if I put this into practice, if I take a stand to do it, then what happens? Am I going to be negligent? Do I really believe the Lord has put me here? Am I willing to step out in the place that he's called me to step out? These men had not stepped out at this point. They had made mistakes, but there came a day where they publicly needed to respond. Like we were just talking about in the last section. All of us, Joseph Arimathea, Nicodemus, the disciples, There was a day where they had to respond. There was a day where something had to change. 
there was a day where they were given the choice. And if they hadn't responded that day, what, what would we have heard of them? Where, where would they be? To take the public place that God had called them to, the things that he had commanded them to step into. And notice this. I like this, the beginning of 15. These dudes stood up, and they gathered their brethren. They were like, we're going to do this, and we're going to get some other guys. Uh, I'm sure these priests had had conversations, like I said. We know some of them stepped into this idolatrous worship. Maybe some of them were convicted about that. Some of them hadn't, I'm sure. Maybe they had just distanced themselves from it totally. They didn't want to get put to death by uh, Hezekiah's father, so they just kind of stayed out of the fray. Maybe their hearts were broken as they watched the temple just being totally ransacked. And now they're saying, things are going to change. And they were like, you know what? I know some other guys that would be happy about this. They went and they grabbed some other guys to step into it. Maybe you're here because you were grabbed. Maybe a friend a little bit. It's going to be a good time. That's cool. Some, Jesus went and got some disciples, spoke to them directly, and some disciples were brought to Jesus by other disciples. It was cool. As long as, as they all followed Jesus in the end. Maybe, maybe you can be part of the position that God uses in drawing somebody to himself, to a different type of way of following him, a type that he actually calls us to live out. If you were pulled here, great. It's not a trick. God's speaking to you. If you got some friends in mind that you know need to be encouraged in Jesus, gather them. If you feel like the Lord has called you, you can be a part of being that involvement and encouragement and influence in other guys' lives. Come on. We're worried it's, it's unnatural, but it's only unnatural because we don't do it enough, right? We invite people to, you know, like a Dolphins game, or maybe not. <laughs> or, you know, there's plenty of things. Ah, cool movie, new restaurant, come on. What, what if the Lord's doing something? You know what? Come on, let's go. Some guys have been doing that. That's great. These priests, I like what they did here. Not only were they willing to stand up, they were willing to go gather some other guys to make it happen. This is how they would not make excuses. This is what it looked like them. How do we not make excuses and take our stand with what the Lord has called us to do? Here's what we do. We stand publicly, and we go get some of the other guys. And we bring them along in what the Lord has called us to do. How do they stand and serve before him? Well, that's the rest of verse 15 here. Notice, they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Notice, it's the commandment of the king, but it's the words of the Lord. That's why it was important. If the king commanded something that wasn't the word of the Lord, it wouldn't be important. But it was because Hezekiah was telling them what God said. That's why it was important the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they had found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. 
What did it look like for them, again, to step into this? First, they had to sanctify themselves, first and foremost, these priests. Again, I can't live my life in service to the Lord without actually living face-to-face with the Lord, like I'm actually in his presence. That's one of the things that we all need, particularly those of us who are constantly in religious circles, right? This, this has to be reality. I have to actually walk with God. And when I close this Bible and put my notes away and walk out of this room, I still need to walk with God. And I need to find God at my desk at home alone as much or more than I find God here standing in a pulpit in a public place. I need to be face to face. And if I can't have my portion, then why am I doing any of this? It's what we should not only need, but also want. These guys, they had to go sanctify themselves. Before they could go take care of the temple, before they could do anything else in the religious sense that God had called them to do their work, they needed to be sanctified. If you want to read through it on your own, you can make a note. Exodus 29. Um, What the priest had to do just to be sanctified this is going to be my secondary study that I outlined in case the other guys had already covered all that, that ground that we were covering here. So what the priest had to do in, in short basically was he had to be cleansed with water. He would go, he would be washed in water. Then he would have a sacrifice on hand that he was bringing with him. The priest would be given garments by, by someone else. They would be given to him. They were designed of God. They were put on him. He didn't choose his own work there. He was anointed with oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit we know. Blood was placed on the altar. He would bring two sacrifices. A bull would be offered and blood would be placed on the one of burn offering. Pictures of Christ's sacrifice in terms of covering sin and honoring the Father. Then, it wasn't just that picture of understanding what the Lord had done for him or the sacrifice. A ram would be offered, and then they'd take that blood. Some of you guys know they would put it on their right ear and on the right thumb and on the right big toe. There was a a near experience of the blood for them before they had to step into their work. It wasn't just something they were doing for other people. The blood had to be on their ear, of course, picturing things they would hear, their hand, things they would do, their toe, the things that they would go to and be involved in. And then they'd be sprinkled again with the blood and the oil mixed. A washing again of Christ's blood and a filling of his spirit, right? Again, for any of us to serve him, no matter what we've been involved in, like these priests, what our background is, there's none of us that are coming out of the pure background to serve Jesus. We're coming as sinful men to serve the King of Kings at his call and command in obedience. And we, no matter where we are, need to be reminded of, I do that because of the sacrifice of Christ and because he did it for me. And he anoints me. Then there was a wave offering, which was a sign of the fruit that they would receive. Then the priest got his own portion. He didn't get left out. He would receive, he would eat, he would be full, he would rejoice. They had to go do that. These guys, 
the ones that have been involved in idolatrous worship and the ones who had just not done the thing they should have done. They all had to go do that. They had to sanctify themselves before the Lord. They had to get their lives straight. Then they became a part of sanctifying and cleansing the house of God. You notice that? Then they went in, it says, to the inner part of the house to cleanse it. And they brought out all the debris, all the stuff that shouldn't be there, right? Before they stepped into any of that other stuff, they had to be cleansed inside. We need that cleansing ourselves. There's always a, a moral part to our service to the Lord and our obedience to him. Most of you guys should know, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, that's your wives, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I can't even pray correctly if I am not responding correctly to my wife, if I don't dwell with her the way God wants me to. There's a moral connection to my prayer and the rest of my life, my interaction with God. Because he calls me to live on a certain level of life with my wife and my kids, right? He commands me to do those things. I, I follow his commands. I have to hear them as valuable and receive them. You're like, oh, I don't know what God wants me to do. Okay, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter toward them. It's a verse in the Bible. Do that. Do the Great Commission. Seek to make disciples of all men teaching them the things that he commanded you. Do that. Be honest. Have honest scales in your house. Do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Do that. There's plenty of commands. If you, want, if you actually want to know what God says, there's plenty of things that he tells us to do. And any of those commands given to any of us is going to make you sit down and think, all right, Lord, all right. Help me do that. If that's what you call me to, you, you call me to whatever you want. Just give me what you command. Augustine said that basically. Just in more flowery language, right? Command what you will, God. Give me any command you want. Just give me what you command. Provide for me. Strengthen me to do that. Give me the understanding I need. Give me the heart I need. Give me the life I need. Give it to me. These, these men here were now cleansed. They had the moral requirement for their obedience settled before the Lord through his own blood, through the filling of the Spirit, and they are now living face-to-face -face with him, right? I can literally enter into God's temple and be face-to-face -face with him. But now I know I'm cleansed in his blood. I'm filled with his Spirit. And they began to then clean those things out. Notice they went into the inner part. They came to the vestibule and cleaned that out. And they had to take the debris from the inside out. Then they had to go to the outer parts and clean those things out. The debris, get it out of there. It's a pretty simple application. We all got debris, should be out of there. Inner parts, outer parts, things that are obvious to other people, those are typically the outer parts. Things that are not obvious to other people, things that are inside that are covered. Those are the less obvious parts. That we need those debris brought out, dealt with. And not only that, I like, I like what it says here. We'll read down 17. They began to sanctify on the first day 
of the first month, on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. That's kind of the outer part. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they were finished. So they sanctified themselves. Then they go about their work that God has called them to, work on the inside, work on the outside. And they were about business. They didn't wait. Like, all right, maybe when I'm 30, I'll get started on that. They got, they got to it right away. They made their decision, and they started to do it. There wasn't any slacking there. They jumped in. Then it says, they went to King Hezekiah and said, we have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings with all its articles, and the table of showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified. And there they are. Not There were certain things they had to go in and they had to get rid of. This is just trash. This thing needs to be thrown out. Uh, I work with high school youth ministry a lot. And one of the things I love is, one of the things about high school kids I love is, when God works in their hearts, they're ready to like throw the world away. Right? They're, they're just willing to drop stuff. And um, back in the day, but... Our, this kid had just a bunch of like bad CDs and DVDs, right? And he was convicted. And he was like, I just need to get rid of these. I need to like trash them just so I don't go back to them. And he took all these CDs and DVDs. And, but to get rid of them, he threw them on the grill and burnt them up. And he totally destroyed his dad's grill. Because they all just like melted into it. And <laughs> he ruined the whole thing, right? And we were like, that's a great, that was a great heart, bad execution, right? Like good... <laughs> We're glad you wanted to do that. Uh, good job, but don't do it like that. But he, he just, right in his heart, he was just like, I'm going to take this stuff as trash. I'm just getting rid of it. It is totally gone. And that's one of the ways we sanctify our lives. But there was another way these priests had to sanctify the temple, and that was there's a bunch of things that should have been in the temple that got moved out of the temple. And what they said to Hezekiah is, all the things that should have never gotten kicked out of the temple, we brought back into the temple. And sometimes, again, we can look at our lives and, you know, we're like, oh, there's, there's not a lot of trash in here. But there's some things that really should be in that temple that aren't in that temple anymore. Like the altar of incense, which is worship and prayer. Is that where it's supposed to be? That showbread, is it where it's supposed to be? The light, the candle, is it where it's supposed to be? Are the things that are supposed to be there, there? Are they in their proper place? Do they have their proper weight in our lives? Again, as we were talking about, we don't just want to be on the defense. We, we should add into our lives the things that are supposed to be there. Somebody said, if we just added one virtue to our life a year, we would be saints in no time. Just, just adding the right thing. Peter would say, add to your faith. Add to your faith. Add this to your faith. Brotherly love, kindness, perseverance. There's every, in every single one of our lives, we're not, we're not the complete picture yet. It doesn't matter how old we are. And, and five days having never measure the value of living a Christ-like life. It, if, even if I live like I'm supposed to live, like Jesus is coming at any moment, 
And Jesus doesn't come for 20 years after I'm dead. How valuable was it that I lived that way for my kids, for the people that are going to be alive during that time, right? How, like we, we just, we, we think very, very small about our lives, typically because the enemy dupes us because he's been around for thousands of years and he's a genius. And he works really hard to keep us focused on things that aren't actually that important. And to take the things in my life that I know are important and to put them in their proper place is a part of the cleansing of the whole. And these guys, these priests, for them to honor the exhortation that God had given them, they couldn't just go into the inner part of the temple and trash stuff or get to the outer part of the temple and trash stuff. They had to go find the things that belong there and put them back in their proper place. And for us to stand where the Lord wants us to stand and be what he wants us to be, to live on the level he called us to live on, we're going to have to do the same thing in various ways. And it says that they are there now before the altar of the Lord. Everything is set up. And this is where, again, you wish somebody could actually make a good Bible movie. Because you had had Hezekiah sitting there. God stirs his heart. In this temple, this is a total wreck. Idolatrous altars there. Who knows what other trash, blood, implements were involved. And he's got all these priests standing in front of him in the middle of the wreck. And he gives them an exhortation. And now Hezekiah, maybe sitting in his throne room, right? Verse 18, they went into King Hezekiah and they're like, it's all done. It's all done. You did your part, we did our part. It's all, it's all cleansed. Everything that was trash is out. Everything that got trashed that should have never been trashed is back in. Then, verse 20, King Hezekiah rose early. He's excited about this. He gathered the rulers of the city and he went up to the house of the Lord. What do we do then when we put those things in their proper place? I'll tell you what we do. We worship them. We give them thanks. When God gives us grace, we give him glory. He conforms us into his image and likeness. He teaches us to be like him. He takes us from a place of trash (laughs) and in his grace strengthens us to live on the level that he wants us to live on. You know, we do, we do what he made us to do. We worship him. Thank you for where you have us. You receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And he loves it. He honors it. He's blessed in it. It's the reason he works on these things in our lives. He's not trying to humiliate us. He's conforming us into his image and likeness because he knows that's what's best for us. And Hezekiah gets to step in early in the morning, gets everybody together and says, let's go worship now in a place that's sanctified. So I would encourage you, gentlemen, again, as you read through these verses, God knows what you want to hear. What this looks like in your life is going to be a little different than what it looks like in my life. 
But as it says, I would just be encouraging you to be prayerful, not to be negligent. Don't make excuses. God has chosen you. He knows who you are and where you come from. He knows what you've been involved in. Serve him. Take your stand by his side to be his servant. And you're going to do it in a way that's real. You're going to do it face to face. You're not going to do it like a person who just comes in with just their body. God created you body, mind, soul, and spirit. Plants have a body. They're made out of the dust. Animals have a soul. They have a consciousness. You have a spirit. You're the only thing created in God's image and likeness. And when we come and we just throw a body in a chair and no spiritual connection, we rob God of the best part of how he made us. It would be like if one of these priests showed up and took a, the carcass of a dead lamb and threw it on the altar. That's not who we are. We worship him face to face. And to do that, we need him to sanctify us, which he's glad to do, happy to do. He shed his own blood to make it happen. And he promised his own spirit to make it happen. And then he says, minister to me. Burn incense on the altar. Worship. Pray. Interact with me. And he will be pleased in that offering. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my brothers here. Thank you for your word. I pray that what you call each of us to individually as your sons that you would patiently lead us and strengthen us in. We don't always know what that looks like, but we trust you, and we just want to have that testimony that your son had, that we are your beloved son, and we're pleasing to you. So Lord, I just ask that you would Draw near to us, you promise in your word, if we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. And that you'd honor us with your presence, with your strength, with your life. You'd wash us, you'd cleanse us, and you'd allow us to walk with a heart full of worship and a vivid consciousness of your presence. We put these things before you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.